Okay, so uh, back at it. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I am Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. Colby, OSU undefeated. Did you have a good weekend uh, watching the Cowpokes uh, stay undefeated this weekend? Had a great weekend. I uh, was up in Tulsa for the Booker T. Washington class of 2011 high school reunion. That's my wife's class. So uh, had a blast up there. It, it was a great weekend. Uh, it's a great Monday. I'm nervous. I'm anxious. A lot going on today, but we can get into that here in a few minutes. Now, before we started recording, you're telling me that I, I didn't even realize this, but your, your wife was high school classmates with Tyler Lockett of the Seattle Seahawks. Yeah, she went to uh, middle school and high school with Tyler and she was on the cheer squad for all of his teams. So she got to see some of the, the best high school teams come through Booker T and uh, it was pretty cool Saturday night. Tyler had made a little like two minute video talking to his high school class and uh, just sending his love. And he's like, you know, I wish I could be there. I have to work weekends. So couldn't, <laughs> couldn't get away, but uh, wore some really cool Booker T Washington cleats yesterday and warmups uh, to honor his high school class and said he was dedicating the game yesterday, which was a win over San Francisco to his class. So uh, it was really cool. And I knew a lot of people from college that she had graduated with. So it was cool going back and, and seeing everybody. We had a blast. So a lot of fun. That's awesome. Tyler Lockett is a freaking stud. We all yeah. know he was great at Kansas State. He's even having a better career in the NFL. And you just think back, Colby, to all the Lockets. I believe he's the third one to come out of Kansas State. And like between his uncle and his dad, you just you wish you could go back in time and sign the original Lockett to Oklahoma State because that'd be another brother bloodline on the team. Seriously, shout out to Kansas State for getting all the Lockets. Those those bloodlines run deep. And it was, uh, you know, being at Booker T's reunion Saturday night, we were just talking about some of the great players that have come through there. R.W. McCorders was a Booker T guy. Felix Jones was a Booker T guy. Tyler Lockett. Uh, and the next one looks like it's probably going to be Dax Hill. So uh, they've they've brought some players through Booker T for sure. Yep. Justice Hill, his brother as well. So, yep. yeah, you're right. Yep. You're right. Uh, let's hear from Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. It was great seeing the 2011 team there uh, on Saturday, and I'm sure everyone stopped by Chris's when they were in town for the big home game. And just so cool to see. We're going to get into the reunion. We're going to get into the game. But first, Colby, I think the theme of this show is... Just win, baby. <laughs> it doesn't have to be pretty. It doesn't have to be a, a masterpiece hung in the Louvre. But Oklahoma State's unbeaten. They're tied atop the Big 12 standings with Oklahoma at 5-0. and uh, Colby, let's let's start with just how the first half played out, and I think you have to start with just how sheer, how sheerly dominant the Oklahoma State defense is. I mean, Baylor only had two first downs; they only had like 99 yards of offense, and 77 of that came on two plays where where Bohannon just kind of threw it up for grabs, and, and the Baylor receiver made a great play. But it's kind of like how we previewed the game, Colby. Like, you and I were not concerned at all about the defense shutting down Baylor, and that's certainly what happened in the first half. It was it was probably even more dominant than I, than I really expected. Yeah, I mean, we said last week, you get to 20, you win the game, uh, because we're at a point now where, with Oklahoma State's defense where when you're playing a team like Baylor, 20 is enough. 20 is enough because you know Jim Knowles defense isn't giving up 20 to a team like Baylor. Uh, great tweet this morning from the Pistols firing account. Saturday was the first time ever under Mike Gundy that Oklahoma State has won a game in which it forced zero turnovers and committed at least three turnovers. The five other instances were all losses and four of the five were by double digits because 
you just normally can't get away with that. You can't get away with losing the turnover battle three, nothing. But when your defense is as good as that defense is right now, and as, as good as that defense was on Saturday night, you can get away from it. And Carson, what's scary this defense doesn't have Trace Ford. He's injured out for the year. This defense doesn't have Trey Sterling. He's injured out for the year. This defense is missing two of its best players, and they're still this good. And, I mean, Spencer Sanders, major bailout Saturday night. Spencer has a couple games every year where he just, I mean, the ball just sails on him, and all of his misses are overthrows, and they all land in the hands of the safeties that are behind the routes crossing across the middle. And that was happening on Saturday night, and it didn't matter because the defense was so so good I just I mean Jim Knowles PhD master of defense I I can't believe we're at a point in Oklahoma State football where we just know I mean Oklahoma State got up 14 to nothing the lead felt absolutely insurmountable and it turns out it was yeah I mean it's supposed it's really supposed to be impossible to lose the turnover battle three to nothing and still win the game especially when two of those turnovers Colby came in you know, their own territory where Baylor was already set up inside OSU territory and positive, you know, positive uh, field position. And that's, that's so hard to overcome, but Oklahoma state's defense, they're not, they don't just, you know, wear the quarterback out and sack him, you know, 10 times a game. They're not just like, they're not like the Georgia defense where they just completely overwhelm you physically. But what they do is they tackle really well. And they just, they're able to get off the field in key down situations. And in case in point, Baylor was three of 15 on third down. That is a staggering number. That's been kind of the hallmark of Jim Knowles' defense is getting off the field on third down. They were one of three on fourth down, which obviously are key down positions when they're trying to advance the football. So they were four of 18 in third and fourth down situations. That The efficiency of this defense in getting off the field is why they're so great. I think that's a testament to Jim Knowles and, and what he dials up on those key downs and just how good at tackling they are. And, and you mentioned not having Trace Ford and, and the players you mentioned, and they, they're also missing uh, uh, the other defensive end. His name escapes me. Irby or uh, yeah, Irby, I think is his name. Yeah, it's Irby. It's Irby. Yeah. He, he was out and he's, he's coming back soon and they just throw out this freshman Colin Oliver, who really is becoming a star much in the way of Trace Ford where, you just put Trace Ford on the field as a freshman. He, he belongs and it stands out. And that's where, that's where Colin Oliver is right now because he was able to get a big sack on Bohannon late in that game. And it's just it's, – they don't have a bunch of superstars. It's kind of by committee, but they just have a lot of really, really good football players and really, really good tacklers. I mean, Colin Oliver, in his first career start, goes out. All he does, six tackles, three tackles for loss, two sacks. And, I mean, he just – he looks so good. He looks so smooth. It looks effortless. He's just out there dominating. And poor, is it Jerry Bohannon or Gary Bohannon? I still can't decide. Uh, it's Gary, I believe. It's Gary. Okay. Also, on the broadcast, they spelled it G-A-R-Y on the first graphic. And then every graphic the rest of the night was G-E-R-R-Y, which is what it is. Wait, uh, I thought I thought it was Jerry, but then I just I read the Gary on the screen. So now I'm thrown for a loop. It's spelled G E R R Y, but they spelled it wrong once on a graphic, and then RG three was calling him Gary, and I would assume that RG three would know. But uh, anyway, I would hope so. Yeah, yeah, he never had a chance. Poor Bohannon never had a chance. He had a couple big plays to Estrada 
Honestly, their first touchdown was a little fluky. It's fourth and two from midfield. You bring a run blitz, uh, and they just, you know, run in the perfect gap of the run blitz. Nobody on the back end because you sailed out to stop the run, and, and there was just nobody there. But um, I just – we're running out of hyperbole to, ex- to describe the defense, and Colin Oliver is a big part of that. Uh, I mean, the guys on the edge, Holmes and Bernard Converse, have been so good. McAllister's been great filling in in the back end. Jason Taylor was making big plays again the other night. Jason Taylor is just, I mean, he's Johnny on the spot, right guy at the right time. Kansas State last year, Boise State earlier this year. He's just, he's where he needs to be when he needs to be there. And I just, I admire the fact that Jim Knowles at any given moment will just bring eight guys. He's just like, you know, I don't care. He's like, you might beat me, but you're going to have to beat me in one second because I'm getting to you and I'm going to make you uncomfortable all night. And it is just so, so much fun to watch. Uh, I mean, it's to the point where when Oklahoma State's defense takes the field, that's when you don't go to the bathroom. That's when you don't get up and go to the kitchen. That's when you pay attention and you watch because that's when exciting things are happening. And uh, it's a a complete script flip for Oklahoma State football, but it's been a lot of fun. I I love what you just mentioned about Jim Knowles coming after the quarterback. I mean, how many years, Colby, have we sat and watched OSU football on, on third and long? where they rush three, drop eight, quarterback sits back there forever until somebody gets open and they convert. It just seems like that's what we watched for so many years. And Jim Knowles doesn't even try to hide it. He's basically telling the quarterback, we're coming after you. And if you're able to make a quick read and make a perfect throw, we'll tip our cap. But we're banking on you not being able to do that. And that's certainly what they did to Bohannon because they punted on all six of their possessions in the first half. They ended up punting on eight straight possessions throughout the course of this game to the point where Dave Aranda just starts going for it on fourth down on, on, on fourth and two uh, in the third quarter and really flipped the field position for Oklahoma State by going. He, he was so tired of punting Colby, he kind of lost his mind a little bit because let's face it, if you're Aranda, don't you don't you just punt it away and hope Spencer Sanders throws another interception? He'd already thrown you know two or three. I just thought that was a crazy decision by Aranda. Yes, the pure dominance of Oklahoma State's defense impacted what Dave Aranda was doing as a head coach. He couldn't do what he wanted to do because I think his logic was this. You know, it's fourth and two, it's fourth and four, whatever the case may be. I'm just going to go for it because we can't pick up 10, but maybe we can pick up three. Maybe we can pick up three, and then you never know. Maybe you break a, b- a big play. Something like that happens. They did break the one big play on uh, on the first touchdown run. But he was absolutely taken out of what he wanted to do by how dominant Oklahoma State was on that side of the ball. And the crazy thing is, it's like, you know, that 2011 team was unbelievable, led the, the country in turnovers forced, uh, four shy of the all-time record for turnovers forced in a season. But that was a, a turnover defense. That wasn't a three-and-out-make-you-punt-every-trip defense. That's what this defense is doing. Now, there are a couple of offenses in this conference that will be able to move the ball on Oklahoma State better than Baylor did, but I don't know that there are any offenses in this conference that can go out and put up 40-plus on Oklahoma State. I I think Oklahoma State's going to be able to win. I picked them 9-3 and before the season. I mean, I still see 9 very realistic, and, um, you know, I don't know what the ceiling is for this team, but if you keep holding teams under 20 points – I mean, I know this Oklahoma State offense isn't great, especially compared to what we've seen in the past, but there's going to be a lot of teams in this conference that Oklahoma State can hold under 20 points, and that makes it pretty easy to win football games. No, I, I definitely agree. I think their defense will definitely keep them in every game. The one thing I would point to to where we don't just, you know, declare them the steel curtain and think they're going to, you know, shut everyone down. They've played Kansas State without Skylar Thompson. We saw how limited they were uh, w- without him. 
and they gave OU much more trouble with Skylar Thompson at quarterback. And Baylor has yet to put up more than 300 yards of total offense in back-to-back Big 12 games. They, they're not a very good offensive team, and that's why I picked Oklahoma State to win in a runaway. Obviously, it didn't happen based on the way the offense played, but I think we're going to really find out when they go to Austin after the bye week, and, and we'll break that game down later in the week. But I think that's one thing of, of caution for this defense. They, they've played great. They've played outstanding. But remember when they went to Norman last year, they got they got torched on the first two or three possessions. And so they're awesome. I, I'm giving them all the praise. I will say you need to add a little bit of context with the offenses they've played so far. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, obviously getting Kansas State without Skylar Thompson, that was – that was great. I, I still think Oklahoma State wins that game, even with Skylar Thompson uh, out there. But having to face Will Howard and the Lewis kid was a huge advantage and really kind of made that game boring. Um, Baylor's offense, not going to be great most of the year. Uh, they didn't reach 300 total yards of offense in their win over Iowa State. Like we told you last week, that win was very fluky. Uh, Baylor was a fraud. They're, they're not going to be a good team. They're probably going to win uh, only a couple of games in conference. They'll beat Kansas. And, uh, I mean, who knows what's happening right now with the West Virginias and Texas Techs of the world. Those, those teams are a total enigma right now. Um, but Baylor's not a great football team. But, I mean, I'm just – I'm so encouraged that from where we were after, you know, week, week one, week two, week three to where we are now. I mean, after those first couple of weeks of the season, I really didn't feel good about my nine and three that I tossed out in August. And now I'm feeling like with seven games left, I mean, going four and three in the last seven, I don't think that that's a big ask. I think five and two is very much on the table. And I tell you what, Carson, I really like the spot that they're catching Texas in because Oklahoma State's going to be coming off a bye and Texas is going to be coming off their two most emotionally charged games of the season with TCU and then Oklahoma in back-to-back weeks. So I think that's a really good spot and maybe Oklahoma State can beat a Texas team. And if they are able to do that and move to 6-0, and then all of a sudden we start talking about this as a team that can win 10 games. Absolutely. And you're so right about the spot. And I think I think that game got optioned as an 11 a.m. kick, too, which would be big going to Austin and playing them at 11 a.m. You'd rather play them at 11 a.m. than at night, uh, no doubt about it. So, yeah, I mean, I wasn't feeling great about my 10-2 and two prediction after the first two games. I was right there with you. But you got to give Mike and his staff a ton of credit. They just have completely transformed their offense. I do want to talk about the offense here in just a second. But with the way the defense is playing, again, Jim Knowles, He's talking his talk, Colby. After the game, quote from Jim Knowles, I came here so we could win championships, and we are going to. That's, that's big boy talk. He says, our defense has risen its level of play. Our offense is doing fine, coming along. Great coaches, great players. We're about to put this thing together. Jim Knowles, ladies and gentlemen, he is talking his trash. He is feeling himself. I mean, Shouldn't OSU offer him like a, a rollover contract like, like Mike Gundy has right now with the way the defense is playing? Uh, forget rollover. Lifetime contract extension. We might even put a legacy clause in there. Does he have any kids? I don't know if he has kids, but if he does, they can have the D.C. job uh, whenever his time has <laughs> passed. Lifetime contract extension for Jim Knowles. And he should be, you know, it's and to me, that's not cocky. That's confident. I mean, he's come in. And he's established Oklahoma State uh, as one of, I mean, right now, obviously they haven't played OU, they haven't played Texas, Iowa State, some of the better offenses in the league. But right now, Oklahoma State should be regarded as the best defense in the conference. And Jim Knowles should be confident and he should feel good about his defense. And the thing to me that stands out so much is like what I talked about earlier on. In the past, Oklahoma State 
has just been decimated defensively any time they lose one impact guy. You lose one impact guy, and it just opens up a massive hole in the defense. Carson, again, there's no Trace Ford. There's no Trace Sterling. Those guys aren't coming back. And as great as they are, I mean, the defense hasn't missed a beat. They have not missed a beat, Carson. It's just the depth that he has been able to get uh, on, on his defense has been unbelievable. Now, you don't really want to lose too many more guys because you, you've got the guys out there right now that you want, the unit that's meshing and, and guys are making plays. You don't want to lose anybody else, but they've lost two seriously big-time impact players, guys that coming into the season you probably would have said are the best two, if not two of the best three or four on the entire defense and haven't missed a beat. So that, to me, is so remarkably impressive that he's been able to pull that off. Yeah, the depth, that's a great point. I mean, you almost forget that they've lost Trey Sterling. They've played so well. I mean, that's that's a guy's an all-Big 12 caliber safety, you know, really had a chance to be a, an All-American type safety this year for Oklahoma State. And you're right, they haven't missed a beat. And what's more impressive to me, Colby, the, the depth has, has certainly been impressive. It's the way they've been able to have so much success on defense despite being put in some of the worst possible game scripts and scenarios that an offense can put your defense in. Again, Baylor on two of the two of their drives started on, on the OSU 31 and 36 yard lines, and they punted on both. That is dang near impossible when you That's when an offense it. takes over on the 31 and gets no points, on the 36 and gets no points. And again, give Jim Knowles credit because when that happens, he's not he's not just settling to holding them to three points. He's like, we're gonna back them up. We're coming after him and we're gonna back them up and sack them. And they did. And to me, just if the offense can just quit putting them in, in some just dire situations, this defense can play even better. So when they do play the better offenses, which I mentioned they haven't played yet, that's when they can really you know counterbalance the fact that they're playing a better offense, which is not starting on their own 31 in situations like that. Yeah, you're 100% right. I mean, 31 and 36 and having to putt both possessions is, is unbelievable. And so the way I watched the game Saturday night, because we were you know having dinner, driving to the reunion, getting around with the reunion, I watched some of it on TV, some of it on my phone. I listened to some of it on the radio, listened to Dave and John. And one of those, I think it was after Spencer's first interception, I was listening to Dave and John in the car. And Oklahoma State gets a big sack on third down, knocks them out of field goal range into punt. And I mean, they're just the excitement level. That defense is legit. Uh, by the way, if you want to be really popular at a high school reunion, be the guy who has the game pulled up on your phone <laughs> because the huddle around this tiny little table to watch the game on my phone, uh, we had quite the huddle of people watching Jalen Warren take it in on that fourth and two at the end of the game, which, uh, I mean, we can praise the defense all day long. We can spend hours praising the defense. Uh, the offense wasn't great a lot of the game, but when they needed to get a push and win the game, they got a push and won the game. I was fired up when Jalen Warren got into the end zone. Yeah, let's talk about the offense. But first, again, this is a reminder, your story there about everyone huddled over the phone. Don't get married during football season because no, you know no. what's going to happen at your reception is the exact situation you were in. Everyone's going to be huddled around the phone watching the OU game or the OSU game. Just don't get married during football season. It's it's the Oklahoma way of doing things. You just wait till spring when there's no, no football to be had. My wife, real quick, Carson, my wife – just the whole time we were together, fall wedding. She wants a fall wedding. She wants a fall wedding. She wants a fall wedding. I put my foot down. We got married in June. <laughs> Attaboy. Way to, way to set the tone early. It was the it's one a... thing. It was the one thing that I was like, Dana, this is, it's the one time in our, in our lives. I've told her, no, we've been together 10 years. I've told her no one time. I'm like, we're not getting married during football season. That's not fair to all of our guests. And it's certainly not fair to me. So June. <laughs> <laughs> Love it.
Uh, let's talk about the offense, Colby. And again, I think we have to start with Spencer Sanders, his play. Um, you know, the first, yeah, we do. I think that's a, that's one of the big talking points from this game. And I and I'm actually going to be a little more positive than people would probably expect, despite the fact he threw three interceptions. You know, the first two were just we've seen it a hundred times with Spencer. I mean, just it's, it's over the middle. It's high. It's wide. It's just very inaccurate and goes straight to a defender. The first two were egregious. They were so bad. The third one goes right off Rashad Owens face mask and pops up. And that, that one's not his fault. I'm giving him a pass on that one, but you know, if he doesn't throw those two, which, you know, ifs and buts, I get that, you know, OSU could have been up 24, nothing at halftime. And this game is, is over. And, you know, Sanders just – he's able to keep other teams in games with his mistakes. And I – his two picks, Colby, I know you were kind of watching it in and out. It just seems like he's so much worse when he takes a five-step drop, settles into the pocket, and has to make a throw. They did a much better job of trying to get him outside the pocket on some, on some rollout. I think they just need to do that far more often. We saw Oklahoma do that with Spencer Rattler at, at Kansas State. And I think Sanders is just more comfortable on the move you can only read, you know, it cuts down the amount of reads you have to make when you roll to one side of the field. And I just think, I don't know how you feel about it, Colby, but don't they need to utilize him more outside the pocket than just making him a pure dropback passer? Cause we've seen over time, that's just not what he is. Yeah, absolutely. They do. He's surprisingly comfortable rolling to his left, throwing back across his body. Uh, I mean, he made some, several good throws on Saturday night doing that. The, the first two interceptions, they were just brutal. And one thing throughout Spencer's career, and I mean, this has been talked about time and time again, and I don't know. I mean, I'm sure part of this falls on Spencer. I'm sure Tim Rattay has tried to really work this out of him. His misses across the middle of the field, he never underthrows anybody over the middle of the field. It's always an overthrow. That second pick, I mean, he's just standing there in a clean pocket. He drops the ball down below his hip, fires it six, six yards over his guy's head, right into the arms of the safety. The safety is behind the play. You want to know why? It's where he's supposed to be. All of his misses over the middle of the field are high. You just can't keep missing guys over their heads in the middle of the field. Bad things are going to happen. Now, on the positive side, uh, Spencer usually has one to two games like this a season. He had one Saturday night. They got away with it. They don't usually get away with it. The Texas game last year, the Tech game two years ago, they don't usually get away with it whenever Spencer has one of his nights where he's just loose with the ball and it's sailing on him over the middle. They got away with it Saturday night. Like you said, the third interception was not his fault. The third interception, as far as I'm concerned, was a turnover by Rashad Owens. Goes through his hand, through his hands, hits his face mask. That's not on the quarterback. Uh, Rashad Owens also had a nice touchdown catch on what was an absolute dime from Spencer Sanders. I, I thought Saturday was the definition of the full Spencer Sanders experience. A couple of mistakes that make you think, dude, how is this still happening? And then he had a couple of big runs where you're like, that's why they have to have him out there. He just brings that extra element. And then he throws the dime to Rashad Owens. It's, it was the full Spencer experience Saturday night. It was. And, and that play was so huge because it was right at the end of the half. You, you were thinking, wow, OSU has dominated this game and they're only going to be up 7 nothing at halftime. And this is why you have to just – you have to just live with it with Spencer Sanders. He is your quarterback. You cannot go to Illingworth because that throw was sensational. It was a dime to Owens. Great catch by Owens as well. But the rushing ability of Sanders, I thought, really won this game. Besides, you know, Jalen Warren was the best player on the field. We'll, we'll get to him. But, you know, they had that third and long, and Sanders just, you know, makes a play. Just, you know, 
Mike Gunny compared him to the Tasmanian Devil, where he he'll put the ball down to a cartwheel and run around crazy and, and gain yardage. And he did that to, to set them up with the short yardage on the fourth and two. And, you know, he runs for 76 yards, you know, 6.3 yards per carry. You know, I, I wish he would cut up field a little more. He tends to bounce it outside too much. But that's just another thing you got to live with because his running ability is so dynamic. And it's basically like having a running back back there at quarterback to where he's going to make some some poor throws. You hope the defense drops <laughs> a couple of them when, it, when he makes those throws. Like, But Baylor will catch both of them. But, Colby, don't you agree that Sanders just puts way more on the table for this offense than he takes off to where we, we all know he's the guy. I'm not saying that there's any kind of controversy at all, but I just kind of have stopped worrying about breaking down the interceptions and just saying, if he can limit those with his running ability, it really, that combined with Warren has, has changed this offense to where they can score enough points if they can just stop turning the ball over. Yes. I think that we both agree. The good outweighs the bad because he does things for you throughout a game that there's just, there's nobody behind him that can do. And I understand the mistakes are going to come. That's, that's part of the Spencer Sanders experience, but even on the last play where Jalen Warren scores, I mean, Spencer was a very real threat to keep that ball and, and keep it on the, the quarterback keeper. And that just holds a guy for half a second. And that makes a big difference. Um, it's not a coincidence that the best running games that Oklahoma state has the best running games that Jalen Warren has that Chuba had in his time that LD Brown had last year. They were the games when Spencer was also running the about another guy taking off with the ball. And, you know, Casey Dunn, I, I've given him some grief. Um, and, and I will say I, I, the screen game was unbelievable against Kansas State, and then it totally disappeared against Baylor, which I didn't totally understand, especially in the first half when your quarterback was struggling and needed some easy throws. But one thing they've been very good at is just running back, running back, running back, lull you to sleep. And then as soon as they know that that guy's going to bite down, they, it, it's Spencer on a keeper. And then he takes it around the edge for 18 yards. They've been really good with the quarterback uh, running back, just kind of feeding off each other in the run game. So that's credit where credit's due because Oklahoma State, uh, you know, early in the season, run game looked awful. But we've now had two games where we've had, we'll, we'll call them the triplets, Spencer Sanders, Jalen Warren, and Tay Martin all on the field together. That's only happened twice now against Kansas State and Baylor. And Oklahoma State has run the ball uh, really well. 219 yards on Saturday. They were great against Kansas State. Tay Martin, again, 6 for 110 on Saturday night. He's just absolutely the real deal. Um, and he had a big catch late in the game uh, to set up the field goal that got him up 17-7. to seven. Uh, So, yeah, the, the offense... The mistakes need to go. I agree. The mistakes need to go, but the good outweighs the bad. Yep. Totally agree. And let's talk about Jalen Warren. I mean, you said you're, we're running out of superlatives for the defense. I think the same is, is for Jalen Warren. I mean, the guy just – what stands out about him most is just he, he always gets an extra three to four yards that simply are not there. The other running backs are just not capable of getting. He ran the ball 37 times caught a pass and you know he obviously was the best player on the field for Oklahoma State and to the point where Mike Gundy in years past might have kicked a field goal but he has so much confidence now in his offensive line which I thought blocked really well on that play uh, Adam Lunt pointed out how, how great of a block Godlevsky had against Baylor's biggest defensive tackle on that fourth and two just moved him completely out of the way and that certainly has made a difference for Jalen Warren as well but it, it certainly gives an offensive line confidence knowing that even if they don't block a play totally perfect, 
that Warren's going to find a way to get an extra two or three yards and, and make them look better. And he's just changed. He's changed the entire outlook of this season. And I didn't expect that. You know, we had heard a lot of positive things about him being the transfer from Utah State. I kind of thought he was going to be more of like a third down back. But he's built, man. He's he's kind of – he's not quite as thick as a Maurice Jones-Drew, but he, he's got a similar type trunk. I mean, he's just a low-to-the-ground bowling ball, makes people miss on top of that. And I think he's making a case, Colby, as the, as the absolute best running back in the Big 12 alongside B. John Robinson. Yeah, I think absolutely is. And, and you talk about we're running out of hyperbole to describe him. He took that picture with Barry Sanders, and I joked on Twitter uh, that it was nice for the greatest running back of all time to take a picture with an alum. You know, that's, <laughs> that's how good Jalen Warren has been for this team. And, uh, you know, you say nobody knew he was going to be this good. Nobody knew he was – Gundy didn't know he was this good. Dunn didn't know he was this good. If they did, guess what? I mean, he'd have been the guy from the jump. The running game the first couple weeks, Oklahoma State didn't really decide that Jalen Warren was the guy until the Boise State game. That's when the running game took off. He is so, so good. He's, he's this rare combination of he can make you miss, he can run through you, and it just doesn't ever seem like he misses the hole. It, it, just, it never seems like, you know, the cut should be off left guard and he cuts it back over the right side of the center and gets two yards where he should have gotten six. That never happens. He hits the right gap every time that he needs to. And another thing that he's been really good at is if there's just one guy that he has to make miss right at the line of scrimmage so that he can turn a, a, a zero-yard play into a four-yard gain, He's been so good at that. And, you know, it may not seem like much. It's not always breaking it down the field that makes the big difference. Sometimes the big difference is whenever you have a back that gets you second and six instead of second and ten. And that's what Jalen Warren has done so consistently for three games. Uh, he did touch the ball 36 times Saturday night. I think it's a good time for the bye week. And hopefully, moving forward, you get in some games where maybe you can get him down around 25 carries a game. Maybe you don't necessarily always need him to touch it 36 times. Get a little more Dominic Richardson, maybe. Desmond Jackson uh, maybe comes back from injury. But uh, like you said, the hyperboles, we're, we're running out of them for Jalen Warren because he has been – somewhat of a savior for this offense. And I don't see how anybody at this point can make the argument that he's not the best player on the offense. Absolutely. And I, you're right about the touches. He's had 95 carries over the past three games. Cool. That's, that's too much. I mean, that's, that's, that's Chuba level of, of workload. And we know Chuba kind of slowed down there at the end of the year is Doak Walker type season. And so I think the answer to that, I mean, surely you can give, Desmond Jackson, once he's healthy, and Dominic Richardson more carries. Certainly L.D. Brown, if he gets healthy. I agree with those things, and you can spell them a little better. The answer for me is just getting the, getting the passing game going. That, that's, that's the big key for me. I mean, again, Sanders only throws for 182 yards, 13 of 23. They've got to get more people involved in the passing game besides Tay Martin. Tay Martin's excellent. Rashad Owens had that big touchdown catch. Um I want to talk about the passing game, but first, one more note on, on Jalen Warren. I was listening to Rashawn Woods on the, on the Sports Animals postgame, and he made, a, he made several good points I want to kind of bring up, but one was about Jalen Warren. He, he was saying that in some of those zone-blocking schemes, he said it's so rare to see a running back kind of stay on the high side and just take the zone all the way the way it's supposed to. He said most running backs cut back, and that's, that's a benefit to the zone-blocking scheme. But he's like, He's like, I've never quite seen a running back so consistently just stay with it and continue to move upfield down, down the field in yardage. And to me, that speaks to his patience. It speaks to his vision because we, we know about his physical traits, but I think his vision, Colby, 
is something that that really is excellent and really makes him a, a cut above at the running back spot. 100%. And that's, that's what I talked about earlier. He doesn't miss the hole. He doesn't hit the wrong hole. He doesn't lose two when he should have gained three. And those things add up over the course of a game. You're talking about getting the ball in, in more guys' hands. Carson, I am totally just bamboozled, lost, can't make any sense of the fact that Brennan Presley has just been a total non-factor for the offense all year for five games. One catch for 10 yards Saturday night. He's back on punts, but, I mean, they're not using him in the screen game. They're not getting him on any jet sweep misdirection type stuff. I'm just – I can't make sense of it. He just seems like he's a guy who's really electric with the ball in his hands, but the ball's never in his hands. I can't figure it out. No, it's – it is baffling, and that's that's another point I wanted to bring up from from Rashawn. You know, Rashawn's been a coach in Oklahoma High School for a while now, and he was saying that Brennan Presley was the best high school player he's seen. And he's like, and he was bringing up the same points you made about like the screen game, getting it to him on short passes. Because Rashawn was like, he is going to make the first guy miss. The first guy will not tackle Brennan Presley. It's not going to happen. So get him the football in space, and he is going to gain yardage because that first guy has no chance to tackle him. And you saw that on his one catch, he made like three guys miss. And so I don't understand it either. And they clearly need to get him involved in the short passing game. He, he clearly can go downfield as well. But that's. That's some more scheming and game planning. I think Casey Dunn and Mike Gundy need to, to get in the lab on is, is how to get him more involved because he is one of your best players. And Brian Keating brought up a really good point uh, last night before we were taping or uh, we were filming Crashing the Boards. This is a great idea and something I would have done if I was playing Xbox. And I think it's something that you could do next week or uh, next time they play Texas in two weeks. Why don't you put Brennan Presley in the backfield at, at the running back spot? And how scared is that linebacker who has the assignment of trying to cover Brennan Presley in the open field? And I'm talking, you can, you can, you can throw, throw a pass to him as a running back in, in a screen game or just starting in the running back spot and have him run down the field and do, you know, all the different types of routes he can do. I mean, that's a, that's a total mismatch in terms of a linebacker having to cover Brennan Presley. You kidding me? That's one way to get him open. Yeah, it is. And one thing that Joe Brady was doing yesterday DJ Moore, he's a receiver for the Carolina Panthers, but he's really electric and he can do a lot of different things. He has lined up. I, I'm an NFL junkie. I've watched a few Panthers games. He's lined up at running back a bunch of times the first four games of the season. DJ Moore, one of the best top 10, 15 receiver in the NFL, lining up at running back. That's creative. That's just a way to get the ball in his hands and try to create a mismatch on a linebacker. It's just there have to be more ways to get the ball into his hands. He, he's done nothing this year. He's been a total non-factor. We're going to have to put out an APB to find this guy. And I don't get it because he should be so talented. Uh, I mean, we had the debate all offseason about Tay Martin or Brennan Presley, who's going to lead the team in receiving. I said Tay Martin, you said Brennan Presley, but I thought it would be close. I really did. I thought it would be close. And Tay Martin looks like a clear standout number one, and Brennan Presley looks like a guy who's just out there because you have to have another receiver on the field. And he's it just seems like he should be so, so much better than that. So I hope that over the bye week, uh, they can look into that and find more ways to get him the ball, line him up in the backfield, use him on misdirection stuff, get the defense going side to side, make them, make them think about him, just make them think about him as a weapon. Uh, and I think that that would greatly benefit your offense. So I hope that that's something that we see more as we head in toward the second half of the season. Yeah. It'd be one thing if we hadn't seen it yet, if it was just all potential based on what we saw with Presley in high school, but just go back to the Miami game. We had three touchdown catches. I mean, it's just, 
we, we've seen it and it just hadn't been there and it hasn't been close at all between Presley and Tay Martin. Tay Martin has just been sensational and, and he's having an all big 12 uh, caliber season at, at wide receiver, but they do have the bye week. They do have the off week to get things right offensively. I think that's going to be big in terms of health, getting guys healthy at the running back spot, the receiver spot, certainly on defense as well in terms of the, you know, the Irby kid and things like that. So the, you know, it's so cliche, Colby. Every coach I think ever always says, "Man, the bye week comes at a good time." It's just, it's just such a cliche at this point. But I do think this year, especially with the amount of injuries OSU's had, they've they've been more banged up than just about any team in the Big Twelve, maybe in the in the country. I don't, I don't follow every team in the country, but OSU certainly has to be up there. So it, it is coming at a right time to get right and certainly get healthy. Yeah, no doubt about it. I, I also like that you're going to be coming in. You got two weeks for Texas, and I said it earlier. I mean. Texas TCU Saturday, that was a physical football game. They, I mean, they were hitting hard. Bijan Robinson carried the ball uh, 32, 35 times, something like that. He's probably going to have to do something similar against Oklahoma next Saturday. That could be a long, drawn-out physical football game. And, you know, first three weeks of conference play, Texas goes out. Texas Tech, they steamroll. And then a big physical battle with TCU, who's had their number. That's a big, you know, emotional matchup. And then the really big emotional matchup is Saturday against Oklahoma. Use a three and a half point favorite in that one. Um, that's going to be a good game. That should be a close game. Should be hard fought. Uh, you know, I'm rooting for about quadruple overtimes in that one. Just give it everything you've got. Completely run all the gas out of the tank, and then meet Oklahoma State the next week in Austin uh, with what will hopefully be a tired Texas team. I think it's a really good spot. Uh, we'll see what Texas looks like against Saturday, but that's a game I'm really looking forward to. If if OSU is going to have a bye week, might as well be on OU Texas week because that should be a really good game. Yeah, I mean, OU and Texas went into double overtime last year. So, yeah, that would certainly help uh, Oklahoma State for sure if they have a, you know, and it's going to be like 95 degrees in in the Cotton Bowl. So, Texas is definitely going to be worn out after that game. Uh, so, uh, let's talk about the, the 2011 reunion, of course, was was the big lead up coming into this game against Baylor. And, you know, we we had Josh Cooper on. And he wasn't sure if, if Justin Blackman was going to show. He hadn't really heard yet at that point. And not only did he show Colby, he – they reenacted the old Whedon to Blackman. I just thought the way they had Whedon out to start the game with the Orange Power chant, the, the 2011 reunion on the field, I just thought it was so cool that we got to see Justin Blackman back in Boone Pickens Stadium with everything he's been through to get the ovation that he got. I just thought that was sensational. All the feels, Carson, all the feels watching those videos. And and it's why I said last week I was really bummed. Uh, you know, I had a great time this weekend, but I was bummed that I had to miss Saturday's game because that must have been so cool to be in the stadium, to see those guys, to honor those guys. Uh, the Whedon to Blackman touchdown was so cool. And uh, Blackman, he's just kind of a vibe, man. He's got the hair going. He just laid back. He's living his life. Uh, and I hope that, that he's happy in life. Obviously, things didn't go the way he wanted them to in the NFL, and some things went wrong for him. But I hope that he's happy in life. And, uh, you know, it was good for him to get all that love from the Oklahoma State fan base because – that team, I mean, what he did individually was unbelievable. Um, it was cool. You know, I, I had a couple friends down on the field. Jace, Jace Chilcote's a good guy. He was uh, on that 2011 team down there. Dion Amade, who does a great job on the pre- and post-game shows for the Cowboy Network, he was down there on the field, friend of mine. It was cool to see those guys down there having a good time, smiling with their old teammates. It was just, I mean, all the fields. It was uh, very nostalgic, and it was cool to see. Yeah, it really was. And, you know, I watched Tom Brady go back to New England last night, and he – I thought it was so awesome when he he did his normal run out to the opposite end zone, did his giant fist pump with his, you know, his let's F and go. You know, I thought that that was great. 
and I, I forgot how much I loved, you know, Blackman was doing in the end zone uh, when they were honoring the team. He was doing, remember every time you get a catch, you put both hands in the air and do the, give me some more, do the, you know, yep. like come here with both hands. I just thought that was so cool to see that again. Cause I kind of forgotten about it. every time he caught the ball, he'd do that and get the crowd fired up. And it was cool to see him reenact that in the end zone. That was just all the nostalgia. I mean, he was barely recognizable to your point with the dreadlocks and the shades on. You had to do a double take when they first put out that picture of him to see if that was really him. But to see Blackman doing his, his thing in the end zone uh, was really cool. And I, I texted Brandon uh, Whedon's asked him how it went. He said it was just great. And he, he was surprised that, that Blackman showed up and was happy to see him and says he's doing well. So it was a, it was a great weekend, great Saturday. And I, I'm glad they were able to, to honor that team. Well, and, and I'm so glad that just over the last year, you know, Gundy talked about the fact that it's somebody's job now to reach out to former players and, and do stuff like that. And I'm so glad that all that stuff has come together. Last year with Thurman, uh, and then even Saturday night, I mean, the 2011 team's there, you're honoring them. Oh, and by the way, the greatest running back to ever touch a football is in the house in Barry Sanders. It's just bringing the old guys back and, and getting that nostalgia. It just, it gets everybody, and I love it. I love every second of it. Yeah, Tay Martin shook Justin Blackman's hand, and afterwards he said he wasn't going to wash his hand for a while since Justin Blackman shook his <laughs> hand. And uh, Jalen Warren got to meet Barry Sanders, which you referenced earlier, and Gundy said it was like Jalen Warren had, had seen Santa Claus. I thought that was like the perfect analogy because it is, it is kind of cool. It's, it's kind of crazy in a way, Colby. I know Barry Jr. went to OSU, so that was a reason for, for Barry Sanders to come back to Stillwater a lot. And I know Barry Jr. was with him at the game, but not many like Bo Jackson doesn't just hang out at Auburn games. Herschel Walker just doesn't just hang out at Georgia games all the time. Barry's been back a lot and, and that's, a, that's awesome. He's going to go up in the ring of honor as well. But I, I, just, I just think it's pretty insane and cool that the greatest running back of all time is, is comes back to Stillwater as often as he does. Uh, yeah, it's awesome. Barry's great. Uh, and Barry's, Barry's kind of a vibe too. He's just like living his life, you know, went to Detroit, came back. He just seems like a cool dude. And like you said, for Jalen Warren, I mean, how cool is that? You're, you're standing there, you're RB one at Oklahoma state. You're absolutely killing it. Just turning heads. I'm sure of scouts probably launching your path, uh, toward what is hopefully a great NFL career. And you get to meet the greatest to ever do it, who won the Heisman where you're playing ball right now on the same field. It's just, I mean, that, that had to have been really special for, uh, for Jalen Warren and even Tay Martin meeting Justin Blackman, uh, who we both think is the greatest college receiver of all time. It's just Oklahoma state has dudes in, in its legacy. I mean, greatest college running back of all time, greatest college receiver of all time, Oklahoma state. That's pretty cool. And it's pretty cool to have them both in the house on the same night. Pretty dang cool. Well, we're going to save the uh, Chris's University Spirit uniform review for the next show. We're going to do one later in the week. Obviously, OSU's off this week. We'll still talk about Texas and really a great college football slate. But, Colby, OSU's 5-0, and man. It's the uh, right. first time they're 5-0 since 2015. First back-to-back -back ranked win since 2013. This season has has flipped. It, it looked pretty doom and gloom after after two games, but we're, we seem to be in for a, a good ride. It has flipped. It is looking good. So, Carson, today's a big life day for me. We have an email, my wife and I do, in our inbox, telling us what the gender of our baby is. But we can't look at it until she gets home from work because we want to look at it together. So I've already killed like three hours. I have about six more hours to kill before I can find out the gender of the baby. And I am just, time is moving so slowly, <laughs> you can't even believe it. I cannot wait for 530 to get here so that we can finally find out.
you need to go like play golf or something do, 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 go play golf for like five hours to kill the time yeah unfortunately i have to go to the dentist today for the first time in several years so well that'll guess, keep your mind off it that's true that'll kill some time this afternoon but uh yeah we're we're waiting we've got the email so resisting the urge fighting the urge uh to click on the email and find out the gender of the baby so we will know that very soon whether we're having a little cowboy or a little cowgirl and we'll put either uh, coach bratton or coach robertson on notice that's exciting man i'm really happy for you and uh i guess we'll we'll uh we'll talk about that on uh later in the week which would uh if you're going cowboy or cowgirl hopefully it's i don't know my, my wife's talking about ordering t-shirts for the announcement i i don't know what that that's her department so uh okay yeah we'll let her make the announcement then yes whenever she wants us to announce we will announce but uh that's totally her department but we're gonna find out uh tonight we're not doing a big gender reveal or anything we're gonna find out just uh by ourselves with each other so uh can't wait good week good weekend and keep it rolling yep really happy for you both we'll uh we'll catch up with you later in the week man sounds great go folks